0: My name is Ashley Herring Blake, and I wrote The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James, published by Little Brown
1: Books for Young Readers. Welcome to The Yarn, a school library journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. Today on the show, author Ashley Herring Blake talks about her middle grade novel, The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James. This episode is part of our Unraveler series. In each Unraveler episode, a book creator takes us inside one of their books. Their inspirations, fears, frustrations, triumphs, epiphanies, the whole thing pulled apart, unraveled. I sat down with Ashley in Austin, Texas during the 2019 Texas Library Association's annual conference. In this episode, Ashley talks about why all kids should see themselves as heroes in books, why parents and teachers sometimes have issues with books that deal with sexuality, and her hope for Sonny. It's time to unravel the mighty heart of Sunny St. James. I really always thought about
0: writing as a kid, and that's really how I became an author. Um, I was always writing stories as a kid. I was always reading. I think reading played a, even a larger role in me becoming an author because I just fell in love with story. I fell in love with the power of story. I fell in love with the way words can change our minds about things. They teach us sympathy. Um, and even as a kid, I think I felt that power. And I just fell in love with that, um, the ability for stories to change people and change me. Um, and then I wrote little dinky stories as a kid. I remember the story I wrote called My Two Crazy Cats. And, you know, I made my brother illustrate it because he was the artist and I was kind of the wordsmith in the family. Um, but, and then writing kind of tapered off for me as I got older. And then I wrote a lot of poetry in my 20s. I wrote a lot of angsty poetry. And I think that just really helped me fall in love with the emotion of writing and things that we can get from writing um, in that way and how that really makes us feel things. Um, And then I was living in Princeton, New Jersey. I was newly married. And I was working at a job um, at a private school for kids with autism. So I was just kind of starting my teaching career as well. Um, And I started reading middle grade books. I don't know what made me pick them up as a 27 year old. I just and I remember what book it was. It was Polly Horvath's The Canning Season. And I picked it up um, at this bookstore on Nassau Street in Princeton. And um, the cover was just intriguing. And I and I started reading it and I just fell in love with that feeling that middle grade books give you that nostalgia that hope that tenderness um and the Keening season was also a very like real book like it dealt with some real issues of like abandonment and just some things that um and I just love the way that she dealt with those heavy issues for you know for writing for middle grade readers um and I just started devouring middle grade books Um, so when I first started writing out, that's definitely what I wanted to do was write middle grade. I wrote a terrible middle grade fantasy. I wrote a, you know, then I was like, oh, well, maybe I want to write YA and I wrote a terrible YA (laughs) fantasy. And, um, so it took me a while to figure out where my voice fit the best, which was realistic fiction. Um, and so, and then I started out with YA and I started writing YA, YA stories and I have three YA books out with Houghton Mifflin, but, um, And then I knew I always wanted to come back to middle grade, because that's just where that sweet spot was for me in terms of me falling in love with Story. Um, And then I started writing Ivy Aberdeen, which was my favorite, my first um, middle grade book. And it just all went from there. And now I'm completely in love with middle grade readers, with librarians and teachers. Um, I think middle grade, like it just gives me so much more opportunity to really connect with librarians and teachers, which I really love. To me, every no book is wasted. There are never any words wasted. So whenever I write any book that I think is terrible, um, I always learn something from those books. Um, I learn what doesn't work. I learn, um, you know, what my style is, where my voice fits better, um, character development. So I have so many. I have, like, five books in the drawer, like, whole books. And so I think that I always learn something from those, and I try to, and I think you have to, because if not, it's really sad to have so many stories that no, no one will probably ever see. Um but I think, you know, writing is a craft. It's not something that you'll ever perfect. And so I think I'm always learning every time and every book is different. So it really teaches me about my my own process. The hardest part about writing a book for me is definitely plot. Um, I would rather just talk about my characters and have them just talk about their feelings and just be all angsty together. Um, So plot is a real struggle for me. I have to, um, I kind of do a mixture of, you know, I'm planning ahead of time. And I don't do a detailed outline, but I do a very loose outline. Um, And I've heard some authors refer to this as connect the dots. So I kind of, I know where I'm going to end and I kind of know some major beats that I'm going to hit in the middle towards the end, but how I get to each dot, I don't, I don't know. Um, and I like that. I like the surprise and the kind of meandering and, um, and the characters always surprise me that way. And so things always end up changing, but, um, and that was one struggle to me with me going from YA to middle grade, because, you know, YA, you still need a, a good bit of plot to like really keep your reader, but middle grade, you need even more to hold that attention. And so I really had to think about, okay, I really need a strong external conflict here, which I'm not great at. I'm much better at the internal conflict. <laughs> Um, so The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James is about a 12-year-old girl named Sunny who um, has a cardiomyopathy, and she was also left by her mother when she was four. So she's been living with her guardian, whose name is Kate, who was her mother's best friend um, for the past eight years. And when she was 10, she was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, so the book opens with her getting a heart transplant. Um, and after she gets a heart transplant, her mother, who she has not seen in eight years, um, comes to, shows up in her in her hospital room. So... The, um, she's really dealing with this new heart. Um, the literal, like, you know, really struggling with, I have this, you know, my most important internal organ has been removed and replaced. Like, what does that make me? Who does that make me? Um, you know, so she's very mindful of that. And she's, um, and then she's also struggling with this new, this, her mother back in her life and who is a recovery alcoholic. Um, and she is in recovery. So I really wanted to kind of tap into those themes of how, how does a family who that has been fractured, can they come back together? And what does that actually look like? Um, so she makes this new life plan, um, and her goals are to do things that she's never been able to do when she was sick, to have make a new best friend because um, her former best friend has betrayed her with a secret, um, and then she wants to kiss a boy. So she has this very you know ambitious plan, and she's absolutely excited about it, um, and then she meets a girl named Quinn who they become – just those, hey, let's be best friends, you know, and that magic that you sometimes get in friendship in middle grades. Um, But as she goes throughout the book, she starts to realize that she may not want to kiss a boy. She might want to kiss Quinn. Um, And then while all that's happening, she's dealing with her mother back in her life and trying to figure out how that fits and does it fit and who she is with this new heart. And is she still the same Sunny that she's always been? From the very beginning, I knew that Quinn, that, sorry, that um, Sunny was was dealing with feelings for, for uh, girls. And I never put a label on her in the book. Um, and I didn't put one on Ivy either. Um, cause they're 12. I don't think they know. I mean, some, some kids I definitely think know absolutely who they are and what they are, but, um, these two girls didn't and Sunny didn't. Um, she's just exploring it. And, and kind of what happened with her best friend was that she kind of confessed, well, I, sometimes I think about kissing a girl and a boy, like I'm wondering about both. And her best friend didn't really know what to do with that. Um, and so that's kind of what she's struggling with. So, and Quinn is just, you know, is a girl, but is also just someone that she ended up liking for the first time that way, you know. Like, I, and if I envision Sunny in the future, I definitely could see her, you know, having a crush on a boy someday, you know. But I definitely, I wanted to explore those themes again in Sunny. Well, when I first started writing Ivy, I, that's the reason why I wrote Ivy Aberdeen's letter to the world. I wrote it for the 12 year old me who didn't have a book like that to explore themes where you might not, a girl might not have a crush on a boy. She might be thinking about crushes on girls. Um, and vice versa. Like, I think we need those books in middle grade where boys are thinking those same thoughts about other boys. Um, and I've written, you know, there's, there's a, the the body of LGBTQ literature in kid lit is expanding. You know, there's lots more YA these days. Like just even in the past three years since, or four years since I've been publishing, I mean it's grown so much. Um, and my second and third YA deal with those themes as well. But as I was thinking about writing a middle grade, I just, I there there weren't a lot. You know, I could think of Barbara D's Starcross that had just come out when I started writing I was already kind of writing Ivy and Barbadies has just come out um, there's George there's Lillian Duncan those deal with more gender issues um, which I think are absolutely needed as well you know but I didn't see a ton where someone was really trying to figure out um, sexuality um, and for me that, that's the age that that starts happening you know like I mean fifth sixth seventh grade that's when crushes are not just like oh he's cute like in your second grade know your second grade class but it turns into oh like she's cute and this could actually I could actually maybe even hold hands with this person you know like this could actually be a thing like when I was in seventh grade I went out with people you know <laughs> quote unquote went out um you know and so that's the age I think you really start thinking about who you are in terms of who you like and why you like them um so I really want to I just I wanted to write that book for the kid I'd the kid I was that didn't have it. Um, and, it, you know, it's much more about identity in, in middle grade. It's not so much about, like, actual kissing and the physical manifestation of that attraction. It's about, like, who you are, you know. And that can be a scary... That's scary at any... At, no matter what you're dealing with in middle grade, that's scary. I think all middle grade kids are dealing with who they are. But when it's something that you feel like you might have to hide because you're not sure how other people are going to react, it's even... It's really important that kids have stories where they see themselves, because I think every kid deserves to be a main character. Every kid deserves to see themselves as the hero of a story. Um, and if you, if you're a kid of color and all, and you grow up and all you ever see are white characters, then you're not the main character in, in any of these stories, which sends the message that maybe your story doesn't matter as much. Um, if you're a, a queer kid dealing with, and you know that there's something about you that's different in terms of being your who you like and why you like them, and you never see those kids on the pages of books, it makes you feel like it's just not as important. If you're a handicapped kid, you know, a disabled child, um, whatever it might be. So I think that in, if you put kids front and center in a book, no matter what their identity is, their ethnicity, their abilities, their disabilities, then then they see, look, I'm the, someone like me is the star of this book, I matter. So I think it sends a message of worth um, pretty strongly. parents and some teachers maybe in schools are scared about books that deal with sexuality to be in their classrooms and libraries and in their kids hands at all um because I think it's a very I think it I think every parent wants the best for their kid and we unfortunately are still living in a day and age where if you are not straight white abled cis then you're gonna have a slightly harder time it's just the way it is, unfortunately, um, and I think that parents want to keep their kids from that. They think, oh, well, if I put this in their hands, and they're going to think, what if it something happens, and then they realize that they are gay, or they realize they are bisexual, or um, and I think it's like something that they are trying to protect their children from, but it really does the opposite. It just harms, um, and even for kids who are going to be are, are straight and are going to be straight their whole lives in their relationships these books are still needed because they need to see that these kids, these friends of theirs are just normal people dealing with all the same things they are, crushes, parents, friendships, um, you know, all of that. And I think that, I think the fear comes from not understanding. Um, I think the fear comes to, I mean, obviously you see it in certain areas of the country more than others, Um, certain, you know, political areas more than others. And I think also that has to do with just exposure. Like if you don't know anybody who is Queer, then it, it's very hard to empathize with that community, um, which I think where books have power because that gives you a safe space to be able to empathize and to be able to explore those feelings. You know if, if you have administration or, or parents asking that these books not be in the school or telling you that these books should not be in the school then you know one ask them why like make them say it yeah. you know like make them put words to it why what's wrong what's what are you scared of um and then just remind you know and I and I think I'm a teacher as well so I always think when I go to my administration you know and I need something well if I keep it student-centered I have a much better chance of getting what I need um I was like well keep it student-centered like no matter what your feelings are. And what your fears are and what your um, worries are about having these books in schools. These kids are there. You have these kids in your schools. Um, and they need an outlet. And they need a safe place to, to explore these feelings. My hope for Sunny St. James, this book, is that it's, it's, so much, it's about so much more than, than sexual identity. It, I mean, that's like one thing she's dealing with. Um the heart of this book for me is realizing that who you are is enough and that and that who you are is is great. Um and because this story is really about families, fractured families, found families, the families we choose, the families we can't choose and what we do with that. Um and it's about friendship as well. So like I my hope for this book is that kids will read this book, boy, girl, queer, straight, whatever you might you might be um, and find hope in that whatever your family looks like, you are loved by somebody um, and to find those people and trust them and, and let them love you and, um, and celebrate who you are.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Yarn. Thank you, Ashley, for talking to me about Sonny at TLA Thank you to my co-host Travis Yonker for helping me produce this episode. Travis, it's crazy to think that four years ago we were planning a trip to New York City to record the first ever episodes of The Yarn. Thanks for going on this ride with me. Thank you to Philip Stead for creating our theme song. If you have an idea for a season or episode of The Yarn, shoot us an email, theyarnpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Colby Sharp. Thanks for listening.